As you know, before we jump into the word, we want to make our confession. And so once again, this is, the, uh, this is my Bible RLC translate edition. You ready? Hold up your iPhone, your tablet, your actual Bible, and let's make this confession together. This is my Bible. This is God's message to me. I believe every word. I will love like it says. I will serve like it says. I will live like it says. I will give like it says. This is truth. I build my life on truth. And truth will build my life. Amen. God's word is phenomenal. Well, are you ready to explore heaven again? For those of you who weren't here last week, we uh, started an expose on this place called heaven. And we left off with the 14 things. Now, these are not uh, the only things. These are really more categories under which there's a lot of subcategories. But 14 categories that God records and rewards. And we need to know that grace is what opens up the door for heaven. But our works will follow us in heaven. And it's important to know that oh, faith has a connection. Or there is, uh, how do I word this better? There's a manifestation of faith. And it's called obedience. The obedience of faith, that the faithful are always the obedient. There is no, you can't disconnect, you can't be disobedient and faith-filled at the same time. Right? For disobedience is rebellion, and rebellion ain't faith. So faith always manifests as obedience. So it's our acts of faith. I said this to you last week that I really do believe that when we get to heaven and the rewards come forth, we'll, we, we won't have a memory of doing that. Because we did it with such pure selfless motives that there was no us in what we did. And, and the more I meditate on it, I see the more selfless we are in our actions, those are the things that are rewarded. Amen. The things that we do from selfish motives, those are not rewarded. Right? But it's the things that we do for the benefit of others. And, and, and so I don't want to rehash all that. If you didn't listen to it, it's online, and um, I would encourage you to get to it. Uh, I also, I want to say this, that I, I, I'm, I'm aware that with many of my sermons, some are thrilled and others are troubled. And uh, I'm cool with that, right? Because I would rather you not take what I say hook, line, and sinker. In fact, you ought never take what any preacher says hook, line, and sinker. Because no matter how many titles we give ourselves, every preacher that stands behind a pulpit is human. Right? So I don't care if they're the chief apostolic potentate of a doctor of this and that and the other thing. They're human. So you take what they say and what you ought to do is go to the Bible and see if it's so. Right? And so I learned long ago that whether you get troubled or thrilled, as long as it drives you into prayer and you want to go to the Bible to see if it's so, then drop the mic. My job's done. Because that's really what I'm trying to do is drive you to God, right? And so, uh, you know, if it thrills you, then I'm glad you'll go to the Bible and say, man, I never saw that. I want to see that. And so it drives you to the Bible. Or if it troubles you, you think, you know what? That preacher don't know what he's talking about and I'm going to disprove him. I've had others do that. 
I ain't got a problem with that. Because if, if you're right and I'm... <clears throat> I have trouble saying that word sometimes. If I'm mistaken, then I'll change. I remember one time, and Steve will remember this lady. You remember Sister Mary? Way back when? There was a, when I was preaching, when I first met Steve, I, I made a statement. I don't remember what I was preaching on, but I made a statement. And don't worry, I haven't started my watch yet, so th this ain't my sermon time. The, uh, I made a statement, God loves you, but he can barely tolerate you. And uh, this woman, now she was a godly woman. Her and her husband had been in the ministry for decades. And she was one of these people that you could look at and tell this is a woman of God. This is a saint of the Lord. And, uh, but what I said perturbed her. Now, it ticked her off. And I know this because she told me later that after I said it, she went home and she said she was ranting and raving all day. She was walking around the house saying, God, that young preacher, he don't know what he's talking about. How could he say you could barely tolerate me? You love me and I know you love me. How could that young man say you don't? And when she finally gave the Lord a chance, the Lord broke in and said, that young man's right. So she came to me later and said, you really troubled me, but it brought a revelation to me. Because what she didn't hear after I said that was that you never change anything until it becomes intolerable. As long as you can tolerate something, you'll never change it. And the Lord, for each of us, no matter how high we are in our process of becoming Christ-like, there is still yet another level to go. And he is so committed to our potential of being Christ-like, he finds our present place intolerable. Right? It, that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It means he's committed to our potential. So he's always tweaking, he's always revealing, and he's always seeking to change us. So really when I say that the Lord loves you, but he can barely tolerate you, that ought to get an amen. Because what he's saying is the Lord is saying, I know you're capable of being and doing and stewarding much more than you are right now. Yes. Amen. So if, if, if last week's message on heaven troubled you, go to the Bible. If it thrilled you, go to the Bible. As long as it moved you. Yes. Amen. Yes. And so I want to pick up with and we still ain't going to finish because last week I had 15 pages of notes and we made it to page three. And my 15 were exerted or, or taken out an excerpt out of the 50 or 60 pages that I've written. So uh, it's a good thing all the restaurants are. Oh, can I say I got to get to the message. But I, I just want to give a praise report on behalf of all of you who are concerned about your hairstyle. The salons open up tomorrow. That's it. Y'all have been waiting to see, listen, I, I've, told, I've told people now all the haters want my hairstyle. See, you sat there and self-righteous thought you had curls, baby. All I got to do is rinse and dry and go on. The beauty salons are opened up tomorrow. My wife has her appointment on Tuesday. All right, we're talking about heaven. Go with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. And I want to read verses 1 through 3. And uh, this is really the purpose of, of teaching about heaven. We're not teaching about heaven because we're afraid of living, right. right? There are some people that they focus only on heaven because they try to avoid life. On, and their number one ambition in life is to die. Uh -uh. 
And, and that's not what I'm saying. We are supposed to engage life on every single level. We're supposed to live the abundant life that God gave us. We're supposed to reach the lost. We're supposed to build our businesses, build our churches, write our songs. We're not supposed to build a monastery out in the woods and go hide away and wait for the rapture. No, baby, you're supposed to engage life. If the light leaves the room, darkness is the only other option. And if the light leaves, you ain't got no right to cuss the darkness because you're the one that made it dark by leaving. If we're the light of the world, we need to be in the world. Amen? So when I'm preaching about heaven, I'm not trying to give you an escape mindset. I'm trying to empower and equip you to live life. Because there is a proper way to consider heaven. And, and one of the things that I want to say as we get into today's teaching is this, that the, the, the proper perspective of heaven, having heaven on the forefront of your mind will serve to purify you, and that's what I'm about to show you, and it will also serve to empower you. Because if, if you lose sight of heaven and you begin to think this life is all there is, then, then why even bother trying to live holy? Right? Why? I mean, if this life is all there is, then you ought to just sin like a wild man and enjoy it. The reason why we pay the price to live holy and the reason why we, uh, the Bible uses the word eschew, it means we, we push away from those things that are poisonous is because we do believe there is a life after life. And the things that we do, the sacrifices we make and the price we pay, they're not just for this life. I told you this this last week that the promises of God have to do with this life, amen, and the life to come, amen. The Bible says that His Word is eternal. It's forever established. The promises of God, hear me when I tell you this, the promises of God do not stop the day you die. They are eternal. So when God says, delight yourself in the Lord and I'll give you the desires of your heart, that's not just for this life. In fact, one writer said that heaven is the place of perfected promises. I'm going to say that again. Heaven is the place of perfected promises. God watches over His Word to perform it. Those who, would, those who would aspire to be the greatest should become the least. Those who want to be the master ought to be the servant. If you, become, if you are faithful in little, I'll make you rulers over much. That's Bible. And yet there are many saintly men and women of God that do not live the lives of masters. Well, did God lie? No, because we ain't seeing the whole story. All we're seeing is earth chapter. I'm telling you what, many of the people that labor in obscurity, they are going to be the brightest in that place. Because they're going to be the ones who serve, not for applause, not for fame, and not for fortune. They serve only because of their love for the master. And they, they're willing to serve in obscurity, but faithfully they serve. And when they get there, I promise you this. They delighted themselves in the Lord. And even if their desires seem to be unfulfilled here, their desires will be fulfilled there. In fact, I believe they're going to be fulfilled so magnificently that when you receive, when you see the place that He has prepared for you, you're going to say, Lord, I didn't even know I liked that. Because see, down here we learn to get by. We don't, we don't aspire to the things we really like, we settle far too often. But when we get there, there ain't no settling, there's perfection. 
And so the things that he bestows upon us, we're going to be in absolute amazement because he knows us better than we know ourselves. Yes, and he's going to say, I always knew you liked this. Yes, sir. Are y'all with me this yes, morning? Yes. Hallelujah. Well, I better not stray too far. Go with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Can I say this to you? Don't seek fame. Seek influence. Ask the Lord to make you influential. And to use the resources he gave you, whether they be revelation or money or whatever it is, use the resources he has given you to make a difference. And then it won't matter whether you're ever famous. Are y'all here this morning? Yes, sir. All right. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. Do you see that? Yes, sir. Now, what, what, what the scripture is revealing here is if we have this expectation, this hope fixed on him of seeing him. And what is heaven if not the opportunity to be in the Lord's presence? permanently. Amen? John said, if you fix this hope of seeing Him, you'll purify yourself. The reason being is, you won't want to do anything that might endanger that meeting. Now think about this when it comes, if, if, if I, I shared this last week about the, the things that were recorded and rewarded. Now imagine somebody just got on your last nerve and you've got a series of words that you want to use to express yourself in this situation. But you stop for a moment and think, record and reward. If the only words heaven will ever know about me are the words that I'm about to use on you, are these the words I want following me throughout eternity? Is this what I want everyone to know about me? And if the answer is no, then don't use them. Find other words, maybe less colorful, but more beneficial. Right? Because this is how you purify yourself because you stop for a moment and think, is this what I want heaven to know about me? And it's the same with if you're about to do something, you're about to submit yourself to something, you're about to look upon something, you're about to do something, and you think, record and reward. If, if, if everything I'm doing is being recorded, is this what I want heaven to know about me? I mean, if heaven knows nothing else, if this is the only thing heaven gets to know about me, do I want them to know this about me for eternity? And if the answer is no then don't. Amen. Right? Yeah. This is how it purifies yourself when you realize there's a life. Look at this. I am seeing more faces. Larry, don't act like I don't see you, bro. <laughs> You're the most beautiful man I've seen since I looked in the mirror. 
I'm, tell, I'm, I'm thrilled, man. Y'all just take my breath away. Y'all are the prettiest people. Now, where was I? Let me go back to my notes. I'm going to have to preach with my eyes closed because I'm seeing so many lovely faces. Y'all think I'm faking this. You've got no idea. I love you. When I come here by myself to pray, I think, I wish it was Sunday. Not because I want to hear myself preach. I want to see y'all. Though I do have next week's sermon, just to let you know. Surprised by the love of God. So the, the keeping heaven on the frontal lobe of our mind, always understanding that this, it ain't just about the satisfaction of the flesh. It ain't just about the feel good of the moment. That there is a life after life, and that's the life that's going to be eternal. You know, the Bible says this. The Bible says that our life, whether you live 10 years or 120 years, when you compare it to eternity, it's a vapor of gas. It's a, and it's over. So really, the life that we want to prepare for is not the next decade. It's not even really the next year. The life that we want to prepare for is a life in heaven. That's, that's what Jesus said. You lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You do what you do from an eternal perspective. And it might not benefit you today. It might not benefit you tomorrow. But your eyes are on a land not made with human hands. And so you're willing to do things that to the carnal mind makes no sense. Why would you do that? Nobody's applauding you. There's records and rewards. Why are you giving so much? There is no return. Oh, there is a return. Amen? And another thing that keeping heaven on the frontal lobe of our mind does is it empowers us. Let me read this to you out of Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Is this okay this morning? Philippians chapter 3, verse 14 says, I press on toward the goal to win, and I'm reading it to you out of the Amplified, I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. Another thing that happens is when you keep heaven in the forefront of your mind, you don't lose sight of the fact that God is always preparing you for that which he has prepared for you. It empowers you to outlast your troubles. It empowers you to outlast. See, because if, if we just think like flesh creatures, right, it's only about this life, then that battle you're facing seems like it has no end. That trial, that trouble just seems to go on forever. And if it has no end, hear me when I say this, if it has no end, it becomes unbearable. Why should I keep struggling? This ain't never going to change. That's a fleshly perspective. A heavenly perspective is, this is going to end. And it gives you the ability to outlast and to press through and to overcome. And, And if there's a mountain in your way, you either go over, you go under, you go around. But the one thing you don't do is you don't stop because you you're like Paul. You keep pressing on that you could win that supreme and heavenly prize to which Christ is calling you upward and onward. And an illustration of this is you may know what she wrote, but you probably have never heard of a, a, a lady named Eliza Hewitt. Eliza Hewitt was about, lived about 120 years ago. And she was, a, uh, from all everything that I've read, a wonderful woman. Uh, she, she, she was a teacher in her local school. And one day during recess, she was watching over the kids. 
And the report is that a, uh, a student who we don't know what his motives were, perhaps he just got a little bit gung-ho, hit her with something and broke her back. In fact, the spinal cord injury was massive and she was bedridden for over a year. And when she was laid out in the bed, in fact, those who told her story, and I want you to hear me when I'm telling you this. See, because if you got heaven on your mind, you can outlast your troubles. If, if you lose sight of heaven, you become bitter. You start crying out, why me? Right. This woman is laid out on the bed. I don't know what type of medication they had 120 years ago, but those who knew her said from the day of her accident to the day of her death, she never knew a day without pain. But her story was that laid out on the bed in pain, she could feel his presence. Doesn't the Bible say he's a very present help in time of trouble? Not apart from the trouble, but in trouble. He's a very present help. And she, her testimony was that even when there was pain, there was his presence. Because what she did is, since she could do nothing else, she began to read scripture, literature, and imagine heaven. You know, the book of Isaiah said, I'll keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on this. And, and so she, she, she began to write poems, because even as an invalid, she wanted to be useful to her local church. Yes. Boy, I'm telling you what, when you hear these stories, our excuses seem to fall away, don't they? Yes, she said, I just want to be useful to my church. So she began to write poems. Wow. And one of the poems that she wrote started out as, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Well, you know, y'all know I can't sing. I can't do this right. So, sweetness, would you help me out with this? You got a microphone. You got it. Because I know they don't want to hear me sing. Turn around. Test, test, test. Okay. It's been a long time since I sung this. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. You want me to do it again? Do it, do it no? Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of Him in glory will the toys of life repay. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will be whole. Soon the pearly gates will open, we shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. <laughs>
You see, as a, now I'm word of faith through and through. And most people would call me a prosperity preacher. I believe that God wants us healthy and wealthy, absolutely. But we got to understand there is a prize greater than that new car. See, because some people fall away because they said, well, I want this, and they get that, and well, they well, God failed me. Listen, if you're going to fall away over the type of car you have or the type of house you live in, why don't you just walk away now? Can I keep it real? Yes. We've got to have our eyes on a greater prize than the type of car or the size of the house so because there's one thing that is out, it just outweighs and outglorifies every other thing, and that is seeing Him who died for us. When we see Him, that will cause the day of rejoicing. He is the prize that we fight for. He is the prize that we pray about. He's the one we keep pressing on toward. And as long as we fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, as long as our eyes are on him. And my goal is, Lord, one day I'm going to stand before you. One day I'm going to get to look in your face. And one day I'm going to get to tell you, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me from drugs and from alcohol and from the life that I was leading. That's the prize. That's what heaven's all about, to be in that place where we see him who loves us beyond sense. You see, and if we have, this is what I mean, if we, if we fix our eyes on this, then it doesn't really matter whether I'm driving a Corvette or a Chevette. Because my eyes aren't on that, my eyes are on Him. Yeah. And as long as I'm seeking Him, then I'll keep going up and up and yeah. up, but my eyes aren't on the things. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Prosperity is not a goal, it's a tool. And as long as we understand it's a tool to be used for the kingdom, now we have just put ourselves in a place where God can allow us to steward even greater wealth. Heaven, everyone say heaven. Well, this is a good place to get into the five crowns that the Bible talks about. Let me read to you 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. In the future, this is, these are the words of the Apostle Paul, in the future. I done cried, now I can't see. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. The Bible speaks of five different crowns. These may not be the only crowns, but these are five crowns the, the Bible does speak of. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 11, it says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. Now I want to say that again. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. Based on this verse, listen, I believe that all of the rewards are already ours. I really do. I believe that just like, you know, the children of Israel, before they ever occupied the land, the land was theirs. You know that, right? The land was theirs by grace, but they had to take it by faith. Always under, every promise of God is yours by grace, but you must take it by faith. If you lose faith, you lose the reward. Not because grace withheld it from you. It's already yours. Yes. Let me word it this way. It's yours to lose. Yes. 
You don't have to gain it. His grace already gave it. Let me read this again. Hold fast what you have. Everyone say, the crown is mine. The only way we can lose it is if we lose our faith and we become inactive or rebellious. Then you can lose that which you already have. The Bible says here, so that no one will take your crown. If man's threats cause you to draw back or man's opposition or man's opinion causes you to shrink back from faith, you can lose that which Christ has already ordained to be yours. But if you won't shrink back, his soul will find great pleasure in you and that which he died to give you will be yours. See, y'all, I've seen, I've seen people wear tiaras. I ain't never seen no one wear a crown, a true crown. Now, I've been, we, we've been and saw the crown of England. It's pretty, I ain't never seen it on no one's head. But we've seen Her Majesty's crown. Pretty impressive. It ain't nothing compared to what's laid up for me. Shandili Anda. Let me, let's go over. Is this okay this morning? Heaven's an amazing place, y'all. But you know what I love? Listen, Brother Hagin used to say God's plan is that you and I would have a little bit of heaven to go to heaven with. God never ordained that you and I live in hell till heaven. No, 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 no. His promises have to do with this life. So don't think I'm saying you put everything off to that life. No, no, no. You seek his, David said, he believed he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And just like David, I believe you and I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But as good as it'll ever be here, it'll be better there. You understand what I'm saying? So you imagine as good as life can be here, it's going to be even better there. Hallelujah, Father. No one, let me say this. No one receives a crown unless they finish the race. Crowns go to those who finish. So we need to keep on going, saints. Long hours, we keep going. Unappreciated, we keep going. Misunderstood, we keep going. Taken advantage of, we keep going. Worn out, keep going. Burned out, keep going. Huh? Y'all understand? We are not, listen, life ain't gentle. Life can be hard, but you and I got to keep going because there is laid up for us a crown and I don't know about you but I don't want no one to take what he died that I might have hallelujah betrayed by friends overlooked keep going so here's the five crowns crown of righteousness this is given to those who finish their task whatever the task is that God has given you to do It's not enough just to start it. You need to finish it. And if you finish what the Lord's called you to do, whatever it is. See, your race ain't like my race. So you don't need to compare yourself to me. And you most certainly ought not to compare yourself to a personality on TV. You, whatever he says to you, do that. Do what he says to you. And there, when, when you finish the task he has given you. There is laid up for you a crown. Everyone say crown. crown. 
We, see, we know there's a robe of righteousness. That's what we wear right now. We are robed in righteousness. But there is coming for us a crown of righteousness. Now there's some, there's some debate upon whether it's an actual crown or it's a, a crown of light. You know, in, in, in the old pictures they would have a halo. I don't much care. As long as it looks good on me. Crown number two. A crown of endurance. These are all the crowns mentioned in the scripture. This one is given to those who are disciplined. Those who don't run away when the feelings get hurt. Those who are true disciples of the Lamb. They have laid up for them a crown of endurance. Number three, a crown of life given to martyrs, both dead and alive. Well, you wear. I thought all martyrs were dead. No, there are some people who lay down their lives daily. They're the ones who daily die for the brethren. Paul did it this way. He poured out his life. His life became a drink offering. He was a daily living martyr. So there's a crown of life given to martyrs. Number four, there's a crown of glory given to shepherds, pastors, who care unselfishly for others. There's a crown of rejoicing, and this is I like. There's a crown of rejoicing for soul winners. Those who step outside of their comfort zone to tell someone about Jesus Christ, and they do it consistently, and they do it regularly. There's laid up for them a crown of rejoicing. I remember uh, years ago, my wife and I were preaching in a little remote village in, in Poland, and when was done preaching this this old man came up to me he looked old but I didn't realize how old he was he was already in his mid-90s and he came up to me and he asked for permission to kiss my wife on the cheek and I thought dude you're in your 90s and you still a player <laughs> he was a saintly man of God when we got to hear his story this was a man who gave his life to Christ as a teenager long before World War II and when he gave his life to Christ, he was so thankful for this thing called salvation. He said, Lord, every day is yours, and I will tell someone about Jesus every day at lunch. That was his commitment to the Lord. And when he shared us this story, he said, not long after he made that commitment, the Nazis came into town. The Nazis invaded and took over Poland. And the, the Christians, Jews were not the only ones sent to the, the concentration camps. You know that, right? Christians were too. He put his life on the line every single day, but it didn't matter. He said, I, I outlived the Nazis. Yes. Every day at lunch, he would go out and say, he said, sometimes he told SS officers about Jesus. <laughs> they had the guns. He had the gospel. Yes, he said, so all the way through World War II, every day at lunch, I would tell someone about Jesus. He said, then after the Nazis left, the communists came. Every day at lunch, I told someone about Jesus. And I asked him, I said, what are you doing now? He said, every day at lunch, I tell someone about Jesus. That man has this crown. Y'all here this morning. Heaven's an amazing place. Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Listen to this. I'm reading it to you out of the Passion Translation. For God, the faithful one, is not unfair. How can he forget the work you have done for him? 
He remembers the love you demonstrate as you continually serve His beloved ones for the glory of His name. Can I say it again? Listen, saints, everything you and I do to benefit somebody else for His glory, that does not go unrewarded. So for, for God to forget the labor of love that you do in ministering to the saints, when you, even if nobody... Even if nobody else applauds you, even if it seems as if nobody else notices, heaven notices that at that moment of time you laid aside your own life and you served for the benefit of someone else. You, when you could have been doing what you enjoyed, you went out and bought bags and bags of groceries just so you could feed someone that'll never know you're the one that packed the bag. When you, when you, when you, whatever it is, you come in early to turn on all the equipment, you go out on the streets, everything you do, you do, he notices and he will reward you. And the more of that we do, the greater our rewards will be. Dr. Brian Cutshaw says there will be some people in heaven that have no rewards. They're in heaven, but they have no rewards. There will be some who wear crowns. There will be some who wear no crowns, but they're still there. Yes, sir. But personally, I think, is this okay this well, morning? I, we ought to have a greater goal than just barely getting in. I want, I, I, want us to, I want all of us to live our life so victoriously in His name that when we inevitably go from this life to that one, we go in victoriously as champions, as someone who lived a life selflessly for His glory. And when we come in, we hear in, well done. Yes, mm. sir. Hallelujah, Father. Heaven isn't, uh, hmm. I'm not saying that there's a class system in heaven, but there's an honor system. Some are worthy of great honor, and some will have great rank. Various ranks, but all, and listen to this, there are various ranks, but all have the same attitude. Those with great rank do not lord it over them without rank. And those without rank do not resent those with great rank. Not there. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, the Bible says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. So you see, in heaven, we're not going to resent those who have great rank because we all have the same attitude. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, we serve one another in love. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 23, his master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, you were faithful with the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now listen to this. Where is he getting put into charge of many things? Enter into the joy of your master. Mm. What is joy? Joy is a feeling of pleasure, extreme pleasure, and happiness. 
So I like this. Enter into the joy of your master. Imagine this, where joy is not an emotion, but an atmosphere. I'll, I'll pause there for dramatic effect till y'all get it. Joy is no longer just an emotion, but you're actually entering into an atmosphere of extreme pleasure. And it's the pleasure of the master. So heaven is a place of joy, extreme joy. The atmosphere, like I told you last week, the atmosphere of heaven is love. And the peace is tangible. Well, the joy is the atmosphere as well. This is the reason why. And man, I got so many stories about people who have witnesses. But the one thing they all say about heaven is smiles are on every face. Laughter is the melody of the place. Everyone is laughing. Everyone is happy. No one is resentful of anyone else and no one is suspicious. Can you imagine a community where we're no longer resentful, no longer suspicious, but I rejoice in your victories? If your home is bigger than mine when we get there, I'm going to be happy for you. Are y'all here? Yes, sir. A place where joy is the atmosphere. Extreme pleasure is the rule of the day. That's what is set before us. And that's what empowers us to purify ourselves and to keep on pressing. Yes. To keep on pressing. Yes. And we never lose sight of that fact. Go to the book of Psalms. Chapter 37. Hmm. Out of the Passion Translation, listen. He said here, he said, I'll make you rulers of much. If you're faithful with little, you will one day be in charge of much. And I've known many saints who have been faithful with little here, and they never seem to be put in charge of much. But like I told you earlier, the story ain't over. In fact, I want to, the story of the gospel is the story of life, eternal. The story of the gospel is the story of life, eternal. My life is unique, so is yours, and it will last eternally in God's presence. You and I will never just simply be no more. Y'all following me? We will never be lost. We will always be living our lives eternally in the presence of Him and in the presence of each other. Psalm 37, verse 4 Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life, and He will provide you what you desire the most. Now, I have searched the Bible. I've looked at both covers. I see no timestamps. There's no expiration date. Are y'all here? Make God the supreme pleasure of your life, and He will give you the desires of your heart. We know this. He watches over His Word to perform it. It will be performed and perfected. If not fully here, then completely there. But it will be, listen to me, your desires that are fulfilled. Do you see what we got to look forward to? This, listen, he came to give us an abundant life, not just a temporary life. 
In fact, the Bible teaches us the things that you can see, the things that you can touch, the things that you can sense with these natural, these are all temporary things. They're modeled after something that is eternal, but these are temporary. Are y'all here this morning? This is really, listen, when I told you last week, the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen, sunrise, sunset. Personally, I think sunrises are highly overrated. And I believe that if the Lord wanted me to see the sunrise, he'd had it start around noon. I like sunsets. But whatever's your thing, man, it's all about you. If you like sunrises, Picture the most beautiful sunrise you've ever seen. And then understand this. You are seeing it through a lens of corruption. The Bible says it's like a dingy piece of glass. As beautiful as it is, you're seeing it through eyes that are diminished not only by age, but by sin. Your eyes can't see the way they were designed to see. You can't process the way you were designed to process. And even if you could, you're looking at it through an atmosphere and an environment that has been tainted and stained and made toxic by sin. That beautiful sunset, as beautiful as it is, there you'll see it as it really is. Colors will explode. Sounds will just be outstanding. You'll hear musical notes you never know could be produced. You'll you'll see colors you never knew before because you're in a place untouched by sin. There nothing can enter into defile. There you will see. There you will know. There you will understand even as you are known. You'll see a sunrise. I know there is no sun. I'm playing with it, okay? He is the light. But you'll see beauty beyond understanding because here there was nothing to compare it to. Life after life. Go to with me to the first Timothy chapter six, verse 17. Again, there's no there's no time stamp. When will he stop giving you the desires of your heart? There's no end to it. There's no end there. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, this is the reason why I know it troubles some of you because we have a a conception of heaven that somehow we just float around on clouds and you magically learn how to play a harp and you become shorter and fatter. And I want you to understand, you are you. God didn't make you to be someone else. You don't become someone else. You are you. You're just a perfected you. It's not this life continued. It's this life without all of the sea wrap. For those of you visiting us for the first time, spell it. We're just in church, so we don't say it that way. It's you without all of the stuff, without all the baggage, without all the pain, without all the scars, without all the tears, but you are still you. You're the you that God originally designed you to be before sin entered in and wounded you. But you're you. That's how we'll get to know each other. Hmm. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, just the latter part of the verse. God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Where do you think that's going to be most magnificently manifested? In heaven. 
So what are you going to be doing with the things that are in heaven? Enjoying them. Because there's pleasure everywhere you look. Heaven is a place of immense and immeasurable joy. Visitors have been surprised by the level of detail. Homes built according to your taste, furnishings in your preferred style. These are just some of the stories of people I've read that have been there and whose stories I trust. They've, in their homes, they found music rooms and libraries. One witness was surprised to discover that in her home in heaven, there were books, entire libraries of books. When she asked why would heaven have books, the answer was, why not? And this is what she wrote in her story. What strange ideas we have of the pleasures and duties of this blessed life. We seem to think that death of the body means an entire change to the soul, as if the soul dies. But that is not the case by any means. We bring to this life the same taste, the same desires, the same knowledge we had before death. What would be the use of our oftentimes long lives given to the pursuit of certain worthy and legitimate knowledge if at the point of death it all disappears? I think of men who have given themselves, like Dr. Richard Waters, have given themselves to the study of the Bible. Is he not going to know any of that when he gets to heaven? Would the Lord give you, you'd give a lifelong pursuit to understanding him and then when you get there it's all gone? I agree with what this woman, what strange ideas we have of heaven. As if nothing from this life is going to matter. She's going to matter. Yes. He's going to matter. Huh? You're going to, you and I are going to know we walk this journey together. Yes, sir. And for the benefits you gave me in life, I'm going to give you thanks. Yes. When, Keith, when Keith Moore went there, Keith Moore was one of our instructors in Bible school, and now he pastors. And he said when he visited heaven, he heard people yelling out his name, Hey, Pastor Keith! Hey, Brother Keith! And they'd walk by him and they'd say, If it ain't quite, it ain't right. Because they remembered his sermons. See, you're going to remember everything someone did to benefit your life. And that's going to be the motive of gratitude in heaven. You're going to want to seek out and find those who blessed you. And you know what? They're going to be seeking you out and finding you and say, Thank you. For giving your life to the Lord. Thank you for reaching me on the islands of the sea. Thank you for reaching me in the middle of that communist country. Thank you. Yes. Yes. That's good, brother. It's not all going to be forgotten. God is not unjust. He's not, is this okay this yes. morning? Yes. It would be unfair for God to forget your labor of love. Right. In fact, the Bible only records one thing he forgets. And that's the sin that invaded your life before Christ. When you give your life to Christ, that is all forgotten. But He does not forget your labor of love. He does not forget the good things you've done. Can you imagine a million years in heaven, somebody seeks you out and says, I've been looking for you. I've wanted to tell you thanks for a million years. Hmm. So listen to this. So that which brought you joy here will bring you even greater joy there. I believe heaven has planned trips. We see this in the, in the scripture. There are tours. 
Heaven has planned trips, guided tours, storytelling rooms, libraries, animals, banquets to attend, ceremonies. And this is all in Revelation 21. I'm not telling you something that ain't in the Bible. What if there are houses and neighborhoods and tea parties and birthday parties having friends over for dinner? I hope I'm perturbing you. So that you'll go and find out, what is your idea of heaven? What are we living holy lives for? It's going to be an amazing place, not a mundane place. I heard, I heard one guy say one time, I want to go to hell because that's where all the fun is. You're just a dum-dum. Heaven ain't going to be boring, man. Heaven's going to be fun. Can you imagine getting to... See, I, I, I'm not an exactly an adrenaline junkie, but that's only because I don't like pain. If there was no pain, I'd be jumping off cliffs. I would do... Half the, I see things on TV and I look at my wife and she just says, nope. I didn't even get a chance to ask yet, but she knows what I'm thinking. I want to do that. I want to strap a propeller to my back and see how high that thing will take me. She'd be like, nope. But when I get to heaven, there ain't going to be no pain. So, man, I'm going I'm to be jumping off things. If you see somebody behaving like a child, that ain't a child, that's Jimmy. And I'm jumping off the tallest tree into that crystal sea. Because we can the things that brought you joy. I love swimming, man. I love being under the water, snorkeling, scuba diving. I'm going to be just going. It's going to be a blast. There's so many things to do. If you like having dinner parties, imagine a celestial dinner party with no dishes. Let your imagination go. Doesn't the Bible say that God is able to do exceedingly? abundantly above and beyond anything you can think or ask or imagine so imagine how great it is and you ain't got a clue yet it's going to be a fun place to be in fact when you read it it sounds like heaven's got about everything but there are some things it actually doesn't have it doesn't have a jail doesn't have a hospital, doesn't have taxes, doesn't have an election, doesn't have tears, doesn't have pain, it doesn't have a sun, so there's no shadow, it doesn't have a nursing home, it doesn't have a graveyard, it doesn't have a war zone, it doesn't have a rehab center, it doesn't have a counseling office, it doesn't have hatred, prejudice, envy, or strife. Shandiliandai. It's not this life continued, it's this life perfected. I want to read you a story, an August, true story, August 22nd, 1963. A lady named Alice Ottinger of Greenville, Tennessee, was in the middle of childbirth. It was a painful childbirth. The last two sentences she heard, we lost the child but we got to save the wife. She said when she heard that last word, she was no longer in the birthing room. Her story was that she was in a boat and she was paddling the boat and she said it seemed natural, as if this is where she was supposed to be. And in front of her was her newborn baby, all wrapped up in, in, in clothes, in blankets. And she kept paddling and she said, the, and this is something that every story I've read, for some reason we must all go to a stream 
Perhaps there's a multitude of them. But every one of them say the same thing. The stream has no banks. There's no mud. If you, you know when you go fishing here and the, the stream is always slippery and muddy where the water meets the... There they said the grass and the flowers just grow right down into the water. There's nothing that is not beautiful. And so she's rowing and she said this is... She was just rowing in this, and it was beautiful and it was serene and she could hear music and she could hear bells and she knew this is where she was supposed to be. And as she was paddling, she looked at the shore and there were a group of people standing there and they waved for her to come over. And when they came over, she noticed all of them were her family members, including one, Aunt Nana, who had died over five years before. And they bent down and they picked up the baby and they said, we'll hold her and keep her safe until you come, unless you want to go with us now. And she said she was in the process of saying, I want to go with you. When they heard, she heard the words, we got her. They resuscitated her and brought her back. But she lived the rest of her life with the peace, knowing this. You see, every story, is this okay? Yeah. Every story I've ever read, there are children, whether they died in the womb or they were aborted, there are children in heaven waiting for their parents. In the presence of the Lord, waiting for mommy and daddy. That alone ought to give us the motivation to not to lose that crown, not to lose that place, to see family members that are waiting on us. Every visitor has been greeted by friends, and we recognize them. Now, I don't know all the dynamics of how our relationships take place and how they've changed, but I know a brother's still a brother, and every visitor knew their husband and knew their wife. Do I believe it changes? Yes, I believe it changes because on earth, marriage is for the source of the purpose of procreation. In heaven, we don't need to procreate. But I can tell you this, if when we get to heaven, she doesn't mean any more to me than you do, then that ain't going to be heaven. You following me? She will always mean something to me because the true, the true, are, you, are y'all okay? Am I messing with your minds too much? The true unity of marriage is not physical. That part's done away with. The two become one in the soul. Yes. The soul continues to live. Yes. So our bond is of the soul. Yes. And you and I have been bonded in Christ. We'll know each other. You just have never seen me with a full head of hair. But you will. In fact, I'll probably have to pull it back over the... Cleave too. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 54, I'm going to give you what Dr. Brian Cutshaw said about this. Because he said that in, he went to, there was a, is this, a, I got, can you all give me a few more minutes? Yes, I told you this ain't really a sermon, but more of an expose. Brian Cutshaw had a vision of heaven, and there was a woman, his wife's best friend, who had never had babies, but she loved children. She was the one every Sunday in, in the nursery. She was the one who every time someone needed a babysitter, she would babysit the children. She loved babies. And Dr. Brian Cutshaw said that when he, he, the Lord blessed him and gave him a vision of heaven, he doesn't believe he was there in person. He believes it was a, a, a vision. And he said, but he saw his wife's best friend, and she was under a tree laughing and taking care of children, and there are children just flocking to her. And Brian said that he knew that what she was doing was caring for those kids and teaching them the ways of the Lord until their parents were to come. Every visitor has talked about children in heaven. 
Every visitor has, uh, Dr. Keith, Keith Moore said one thing, he called it a great mall. Rebecca Springer called it a great hall. But they both were in this great, big, monstrous building. And I think I shared this with you last week. It was open dome. There was no ceiling. And then it dawned on, uh, I think it was, it dawned on Keith. Keith said, well, of course, it never rains in heaven and there's never cloudy days. There's no need for a ceiling. Every day is perfect. But it was like a great big hall. Keith called it a mall. But in the mall, there were exchanges taking place. People were giving each other things. And, but commerce, money was not the form of exchange anymore. Money had been done away with. Now we gave each other the tools of our trade or what we had made on love. Yes. Doesn't the Bible say you can come and buy without money? Yes. When, when love becomes the commodity of the day? Well, we ought to get good at it here. Yes. Then it'd be a natural thing there. So Brian Cushaw said that he gave, he gave Isaiah chapter 54 a unique application. And I'll bring this to a close because I feel like I'm kind of losing you here. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no children. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. If you just read that with a natural application, that makes no sense. If you're barren, there are no sons to call you blessed. But the sons of the desolate one, the one who has never travailed in the natural, in heaven, the children you care for here, and I wish Mother Edwards was here to hear this, they will rise up to call you blessed yes. because you gave yourself to be a mother to one that you never birthed. Yes. God notes that. Yes. And God rewards that. I think that's enough for today. If you would, lift your hands up. I don't know who's in here this morning and listening. I don't know who's watching us online and listening. But I beg you with every fiber of my soul, if you don't know Jesus as Christ, if you've never given your life to the Lord, you don't want to miss this. You do not want to miss this. He died and shed his blood to forgive you of everything you've ever done. You need no longer feel any condemnation. You no longer need to feel shame. You no longer need to be under a burden of guilt. You can be free from all those things just by coming to him. So I'm going to ask in this house, in this place, for every hand to be raised. And we're going to pray together. And you'll know in your heart if this is the first time you prayed it sincerely because you'll feel the change take place. And if you give your life to the Lord for the first time, we would love to hear from you because we want to help you succeed in this new walk. So let's all pray this together so as no one gets singled out. Father, I believe in my heart that Jesus, your Son, the Christ, is the Savior of the world. I believe that it was for me that He was born, that He lived, that He died, and that He rose again. He shed His blood for me. He died on my behalf. So today, I declare with my heart and with my mouth, I confess Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. I surrender my life. Lord, 
I give you my life. I ask you to fill me with your love, with your grace, and give me a brand new start. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, Father. Hallelujah. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. There's so much more to say about this place, but I think next week we'll take another path. But I would encourage you to go ahead and study it out for yourself. It's a place beyond description, but it's worth trying. A place where every cup of cold water you give to someone in His name is recorded. And heaven is a real place. So the effort and the pain and the struggle, you know there's a saying, and I am closing with this, there's a saying, the struggle is real, heaven is more real, and it's worth the struggle. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. We're going to pray together and then be, dismiss you.